episode 296 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by Learn the Finer Points. Use the link below to save 10% off their ground school app. Aviation, there's a new offer from SiriusXM. Make sure you upgrade your next flight without upgrading your plane by getting the Garmin GDL52 portable receiver. The GDL52 has ADSB traffic and weather plus SiriusXM weather and entertainment. It has Bluetooth and works with Garmin Pilot apps. For a limited time, you can get a $300 rebate on the GDL52 plus it comes with a free three-month trial of SiriusXM's weather and entertainment. I love flying with SiriusXM, and it's honestly one of my favorite features about having the G5000, so the GDL52 will offer you a very similar outlook on the weather, and also get to listen to some awesome radio stations on SiriusXM. So check out the GDL52 at aopa.org slash SiriusXM. Captain Samuel Larson, call sign Raz, pilot and commander of the F-22 uh, demo team. I just completed my first... Uh, first year as the pilot and commander for the team. Been flying the F-22 for about uh, six years in active duty Air Force for about eight. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. I'm recording this intro at what is like 10 o'clock Eastern time on the West Coast. Just flew four legs, starting Fort Lauderdale and now we're in San Jose. It's been a long day, but we got to get the podcast out. It's a good one too. It's with Raz Larson. If you're not following Raz, you got to check him out. It is a really cool account to follow, and you've probably seen him. You've definitely seen videos of him flying an F-22 Raptor, especially for the demo team at Oshkosh or any air show that they performed at. That's Raz. He's up there flying it, and he does a great job, and he loves talking about it. It was a lot of fun talking with him. We probably could have talked forever about this kind of stuff. So it was cool having Raz on, hearing his story, hearing about the F-22, and just how amazing this airplane is. Uh, Aviation, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Go to Pilot to Pilot on your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. Take your friend's phone or whoever you're sitting next to on the bus to say, hey, go to Pilot to Pilot, subscribe. You want to be a pilot? Let's do it. Let's go to the airport and fly. It's that easy. I have an early wake up tomorrow, so it is time to go. But without any further ado, here's F-22 pilot, Raz Larson. Raz, what's up, man? Welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Anytime. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I don't know if I've had too many F-22 pilots on. I've had a F-35 <laughs> guy on. I believe he started the F-35 demo team. So uh, a little bit of uh, you guys can go oh, back nice. and forth yeah. to see who uh, who did a better job. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, let's get started. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about how you even got into aviation. What was the initial kind of motivation for you to start flying or even want to fly? Uh, it was air shows for me. Uh, so... I grew up in Davenport, Iowa, had an air show taking place uh, just a few miles from the house I grew up in. Went every year growing up, uh, fell in love with it, uh, was immediately enamored by it, wanted to be invo- involved in aviation in some capacity, and then meeting pilots from demo teams uh, is kind of what illuminated the path forward uh, for me of wanting to join and be a military aviator, serve as a fighter pilot. So uh was an air show nut and uh, aviation fanatic and then went off to the Air Force Academy for college. Um, and then after the Air Force Academy, went to pilot training. I was very fortunate to uh, start flying the F-22 right out of uh, pilot training. What uh, <laughs> what air show did you go to? Uh, so it was a Quad City Air Show. 
uh, was in Davenport, Iowa. It was my local show. And then as I got older, uh, I actually started taking uh, pictures and writing articles for an uh, air show magazine. Uh, so I went to air shows all around the Midwest. Uh, so yeah, pretty much all your all your big air shows in the Midwest uh, I was going to growing up. Big Oshkosh guy, big time. Yep, yep. Uh, never got the full experience really because we would just drive up. Um, we didn't have any really aviation background in my family, so we would drive up for a few days and just be completely blown away by it. Uh, but I had not flown an airplane to Oshkosh until uh, until this past year okay. flying the Raptor, and yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, which was awesome. Yeah. I love Oshkosh. Well, so. they, they don't make you do that uh, crazy uh, visual approach, do they? I'm guessing the Raptors get to just come on in and shoot, <laughs> yeah. shoot straight. In. Uh, we were uh, we were ready to. Uh, I was reading through the Oshkosh note. I wasn't sure, um, but no, they uh, they gave us uh, some open air space. I was and say, around, like, uh, Raptor which was wait. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. Uh, that'd be funny. All right, go around, go back in the pattern. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. We uh, we were ready to if they wanted us to. So that's cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, coming from someone like you just said that doesn't have any kind of aviation background in their family, how was your family uh, supportive in that way? Where it's like, all right, well, I mean, we don't really have a basis for how to get you into an airplane, how to get you flying. How did that all kind of come about? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, they were extremely supportive. Uh, they're not aviation, you know, nuts like me, but they were, they were willing to go out to these air shows and take the time, uh, to, to introduce me to opportunities to talk to folks and get advice and mentorship. Uh, so they were hugely supportive of that and getting me, uh, again, before the age I could drive, driving around to air shows in the Midwest. They, they just saw how much, uh, how passionate I was about it. And they, uh, they did everything they could to kind of, you know, uh, give me those opportunities to grow and, and seek out that dream. Uh, so they were instrumental, I would say in the journey. And even though they didn't have the requisite knowledge or the ability to, you know, pay for flight lessons or things of that sort, uh, they did everything they could to try to help enable me get on that path. And I'm, uh, eternally thankful for that. And, uh, uh, again, they were hugely important in me getting, into the Air Force Academy and helping me with that process, uh, and then encouraged me, encouraging me along the way. So uh, I owe a lot to them. What did that process look like for you? Because I'm guessing at an early age, you're kind of like enamored by whatever you whatever's flying, whether it's F-16s, whatever it might be. Yeah, you bet. I want to do that. But was it, <clears throat> I want to go to the Air Force Academy from the get-go and you like from like 13, 14 were doing Eagle Scout or everything you could, getting a letter, all that kind of stuff. Or was it a more of a late preparation for you? Yeah, that's a that's another great question. I had no idea. I had no, uh, I guess, uh, dream to go to the Air Force Academy or any military academy per se. I just knew I wanted to to fly airplanes and fly jets. Um, so I was constantly seeking out that advice and mentorship, and I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but uh, the pilots I talked to were, like, "You got to have good grades, participate in sports or things you enjoy, be well rounded, uh, work ethic and attitude will get you anywhere." and uh, took that to heart and then just tried to have as many doors open, uh, as possible when I was graduating high school, which is the advice I give to youngsters now is try to keep as many doors open as you can, uh, going forward in your life. So Air Force Academy for me, was kind of, uh, I started my application in my junior year. Uh, once I got an appointment, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if it was for me. I'm very glad I, I went that route, uh, but I was very uh, skeptical and hesitant when it was time to decide. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in that because that's that's a big decision in life, kind of where you're going to go. Was uh, there an alternate step. route at all? Was there like a, a side path that you thought about doing, you know, going to 
University of Colorado in Boulder and just hanging out and flying yeah, right. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I was looking at all kinds of aviation programs um, in the Midwest. Uh, there's a few. And then I was looking at like the Embry-Riddles of the world, things of that sort. Um, so, yeah, there were definitely alternate paths. And again, I wasn't really sure. Um, I was second guessing myself a lot uh, along the way. Uh, and ultimately, I'm happy with the, the choice I made. But did it come down to one or two, like two schools, or was it just kind of like, yeah, I guess I'll just go here. This works. <laughs> no, I'd say uh, because I wanted to go kind of delve in the aviation world, uh, Embry-Riddle Daytona Beach was definitely uh, uh, up there um, when I was thinking between the Air Force Academy or going to do maybe an ROTC program uh, there. I think there's there's just so many great options, and there's no one path you have to take to get to your goal. Um, it's just really comes down to figuring out what's going to be the best for you and your personality and your, uh, and your goals. So. All right. So you, uh, you make the decision, you're going to the Air Force Academy. Um, yep. what was the first couple of weeks like? Was it like, Holy smokes, what am I getting myself <laughs> into? How do I get back home? Or uh, was it like, this is awesome. This is definitely what I was meant to do. No, it's uh, it's shocking all getting out there. Uh, and not, not at all meant to be enjoyable. Um, yeah, starting out there. <laughs> so, it's uh, some getting used to, definitely outside of your comfort zone, uh, which turns out is a good place to be. And I like to say that when I showed up to the Air Force Academy, it was the start of me feeling like I was the dumbest person in the room. Um, and what I've really loved about life so far is that every step I take, I feel like I get to a better room and a better room, and I keep feeling like the dumbest person in that room. But if I keep getting into uh, into that better, that better room, uh, I feel like I'm doing something right. So Air Force Academy was the start of, really getting outside of the comfort zone and starting to figure out uh, some abilities within and ability to, to kind of work through the challenges and obstacles. And again, uh, it's a phenomenal place for growth. Um, and it's constant. One of the best things about the Academy is, is constant challenges that are designed to push you outside of your comfort zone, uh, which I think is, is, is really good for preparation in the future. But uh, it was challenging. All four years, first year is designed to be the worst. Um, and then I was very fortunate. I got to be a part of the uh, the parachute team there. So I got to jump out of airplanes um, my sophomore through senior year and then a little uh, beyond graduation. Um, so about 700 skydives, again, doesn't directly necessarily translate to flying, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I love skydiving. And there were definitely skill sets uh, from being on that team that I thought transferred into the future so when you were at the academy was it eyes on being a pilot the whole time was it were you doing everything you could to make sure you got a slot or were there a couple of different avenues you're thinking about going down no it was it was eyes on being a pilot uh for me that's not necessarily the case for everyone there uh which is surprising to some folks uh because there are you know 30 some odd careers you can go to out of out of the academy but i did want to be uh did want to fly the whole time as far as what i was going to fly or set my aspirations to that that fluctuated a little bit uh but but no i wanted to fly what was the the pathway for that because i mean you said that not everyone wants to be a pilot but i'd, I'd like to think that the majority of people that are going to the air force come in there thinking they want to be a pilot so it's a lot of people that are going yeah. for a minimal amount of slots i'd say like obviously they can't yep. let everyone be a pilot so how did one you kind of like differentiate differentiate wow differentiate yourself from everyone and two kind of like how did you kind of keep the course and uh, make sure you're you're going on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it fluctuates every year um, in terms of uh, slots available. 
Um, so out of the Air Force Academy, I'd say on average, maybe half the class will go to pilot training. Uh, again, but that ebbs and flows like anything else. Uh, so there's luck and timing involved in that part. But it was really going back to the roots of the advice I had gotten, you know, years before, which was work ethic and attitude. And uh, again, the Air Force Academy is really where I felt like I was starting to hit my stride and figuring out uh, what I could do uh, with work ethic and, and putting in the extra work. So it was grades. It was extracurriculars, things of that sort. Uh, the Academy had all kinds of algorithms to rank you in the class based on academic, physical fitness and military performance. Um as well as some of the subjective officerships type type stuff. So it was just it was just hard work and having a good attitude and not letting the daily grind get to you uh, and then keeping a kind of a humble mindset. So really the stuff that's applied the whole time, these universal concepts really work anywhere and that held through from high school, college, pilot training and beyond. Uh was always going back to advice I'd gotten from mentors at a young age. Which is easier said than done, right? Like not every day is going to yeah. be great. Uh, what were some of the yep. struggles you had maybe going into or not going into, but in the academy as, as you know, everyone kind of looks back on it and thinks about how great it was and you laugh on all the, the yeah. bad times. But in the moment, it feels like it could be the world's coming in. So talk a little bit about Absolutely. what you had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so getting used to being out of the comfort zone. Some Some folks I've seen. When you constantly get pushed out of your comfort zone, having to do things uh, like jumping out of airplanes for the first time, going through basic training, uh, going into like boxing class and fighting classes, things that, you know, you don't do at normal schools. Right. Uh, some yeah. folks have a tendency to retreat back to your comfort zone uh, and just try to get back to, uh, again, a feeling of comfort. And I don't want to I don't want to get pushed like that. The people who I've seen who excel uh, really embrace that uh, growth opportunity and run with it and then seek out more opportunities to be out of their comfort zone and seek that growth. Those are the people who I saw really uh, excel at the Academy and in other uh, situations like that. So that's something I had to learn uh, was uh, to force myself outside the comfort zone. And then uh, I'll tell everyone, you know, the smartest, most, most athletic, I had to work for, for everything. And I saw, I was in tutoring constantly at the Air Force Academy with the heavy science and engineering math curriculum. Um, and I'm proud of it because, uh, because it got me where I wanted to be. Uh, so nothing necessarily came easy, but it was, it was a lot of late nights there of struggle and, uh, and a lot of monotony in that, in that lifestyle, or it can be. Um, but just keeping the eyes on the prize, uh, and remembering, the dream you had when you, when you first started and letting that fuel, um, fuel your decisions each and every day. One of the things that I happened to me along the way, I actually saw an F-22 demo, um, at an air show here in the Midwest when I was on a break from the Academy and, uh, was very moved by it. And immediately that's where I, from all the other stuff that you could fly, that's where I was like, I want to fly F-22s. I thought it was the pinnacle of, of flying. And so from that day forward, uh, I would envision every morning uh, me going up at drop night on assignment night out of Air Force pilot training and seeing an F-22 flash on the screen. And that just gave me a little motivation. But then it was time to come back to the present and let that goal, again, influence your decisions and influence your work ethic. Uh, so, again, that's something we try to pass to folks we talk to now is go out into the future, envision that goal, and then come back to the present and start making it happen. So was there a, a nightmare uh, plan that would pop up? You ever think about be like, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a few, but uh, yeah. I'm not going to name any of my nightmare <laughs> planes. Uh, Cause I think all airplanes are cool. And especially now as I've gotten more experience, 
there are just cool aspects to every kind of lifestyle yeah. of different platforms you fly. So Definitely. it's all different, right? Uh, yep. It's all different. <clears throat> yeah. When um, you're kind of talking about like a, a, just like a four year grind at the Air Force Academy, do you feel like looking back on it, you know, you missed out on that uh, normal college experience, you know, when you see maybe your friends or from high school yeah. that are like going to Iowa, going to Iowa state, uh, yeah. where it may be. And they're just, living it up or what you think is living it up, right? You're there Absolutely. Goal and they're kind of just like partying. So do you think you got the same experience or you wish you would have had more of a similar experience? Are you pretty happy? I mean, obviously you're going to say you're happy with how it turned out, but um, yeah. do you ever wish that you had a different um, kind of college upbringing or not upbringing, but college experience? That's another great question. I will tell you at the time, absolutely. Uh, talking to my, my buddies who are at other schools, uh, I was like, man, I made a mistake. Um, but then again, as I went forward, uh, the opportunities there, things that I loved, uh, again, were some of the things that really pushed you and the challenges, uh, some of the physical fitness stuff you had to do there. Um, the combatives classes, the boxing classes, uh, the water survival type classes, all these things uh, that some people would say sucked. I really enjoyed. Um, and then I was very fortunate at the academy again being on that parachute team was on, I was part of a very tight knit group, um, of folks, like-minded folks, and, uh, really called them a second family. And in between classes, no kidding, got to go jump out of airplanes and got to instruct, uh, other cadets and active duty, uh, airmen, uh, jumping out of airplanes, being a jump master. So I had an absolute blast starting my sophomore year, really into through my senior year. I was like, this is the greatest college experience I could ever dream of. Like, jumping out of air, airplanes and getting to travel all the time uh, across the country, getting to jump out of airplanes. I thought I hit the jackpot. So <clears throat> once I got to start doing that and looking back on that, it fit me perfectly. And it was an opportunity I would not trade uh, for anything. So I love that. Again, when I, what I tell folks, you can go anywhere. And again, it's up to your personality. And then looking for opportunities, like I knew going to the academy that I wanted to be like a parachutist. I thought that was a really cool opportunity there. Um, so if you find something like that, then uh, you're going to be set and you're going to really uh, make the most of your time and enjoy it. Uh, but it's not for everyone. And you can be an F-22 pilot or any goal you want to uh, achieve by going to any school. So uh, I would not disparage any other school, ROTC, going through officer training school, whatever you want to do, or if you want to go to college and kind of grow and mature and see if it's something you actually want to do without any commitment, that's fine too. Um, again, the universal principles of that work ethic and attitude and humility, they're going to apply anywhere and they can get you to the same end state. So, yeah. What's the, uh, what's the burnout rate or I don't know if that's the proper thing, but washout rate at a, at a university or an academy like that. I had a buddy that went to the Naval Academy and I mean, yeah. I've heard some crazy stories about like people ending their lives or doing just like crazy stuff to get out of there. It's a challenging environment. Um, first of all, it ebbs and flows. I want to say I started like my class started around 1200, you know, we graduated around 850. Um, so I, I think there's definitely attrition in every class, people who decide uh, you don't want to do it. And then you have no commitment to the Air Force by going to the Air Force Academy until you start really your junior year. So you do two years there, decide it's not for you, you leave, uh, you don't owe anything. Uh, so there's, there's definitely a way out. And a lot of folks do, you know, leave that first year or second year uh, and then 
once you are committed and owe time, uh, then obviously that attrition drops off. So it's like you said, those first two years, probably the hardest two years, like it probably gets a little <clears throat> better after that. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I think yeah. it does for most folks. So, yeah. all right, well, you are, uh, you're working your way up to the F22. Like you said, it's always kind of been your goal. That's what you wanted to see when, uh, your name popped up. Talk about getting to that point. Like, do you get a pilot? So do you get awarded a pilot slot first? And then obviously you're going to do some more testing and then you find out what plane you go to, or do you find out what plane you're going to immediately with that pilot slot? Yep. Uh, for active duty folks, um, you don't know what you're going to fly when you go to pilot training. Uh, if you are hired by a guard unit, which again is another great option. Um, then you go into pilot training knowing that you're going to fly that aircraft for that guard unit. Uh, so this is, little bit of a difference there but yeah you get a pilot slot go through initial flight screening out in colorado and then at one of the four uh, undergraduate pilot training bases you start and uh, everyone starts in the t6 and from day one you're in competition essentially um really in competition with yourself you are going to get rack and stacked against your classmates but it's all about being the best version that you can be and being the best teammate you can be and again, I've said it many times, but pilot training was also uh, really where I saw work ethic, attitude, humility. That's that's what it takes. Uh, so it's a year-long, 55-week program. Uh, they've changed it a little bit since I've been through it, so I don't want to misspeak. But if you're going to go the fighter route uh, or bombers, you'll track select the T-38 after the T-6. If you're going to go the heavy route into a T-1 and then helicopters is a separate route. So then you go do th through the T-30, and it's not till the very end of the program where you submit a dream sheet of aircraft you want to fly, kind of ranking. I pretty much rank the entire inventory uh, from 1 through 30-something. And then you get rack and stacked. I think I had 26 folks in my class, so 1 through 26, and they basically just marry up how'd you, how you did in the class and if your airplane that you want to fly is available on that drop. So once again, it goes back to uh, some luck and timing. Uh, the aircraft you want to fly may not be available at that time. Um, but again, you just do the best you can and see where, see where things, uh, in that up. whole process, what was the most difficult plane for you to kind of get your mind around? You know, like you said, you probably start out what in the T6 and you move up, but when did it get to the point where it was like, holy smokes, this is way different than that. Was it right in the beginning when, you know, maybe you had like six hours and a 172 and then you're flying a T6 or was it T6 to the next jet? Kind of talk about that. Yeah, that's. Another great question. And I tell folks now who are going to pilot training, uh, everyone's going to fail designed uh, that you will fail at some point and everyone fails at different stages. Um, <clears throat> so being able to uh, get over your own failure, because uh, that's tough. It can feel like the world's ending um, and you're not going to get to do your dream. Um, being able to get over your own failure, accept feedback and move on. And then also being a great teammate uh, when your classmates fail. And being the person that they can uh, can rely on, hugely important in pilot training. Uh, for me, it was yeah early on. I was again way outside the comfort zone flying the T six. I think I screwed something up and failed a flight way early in the program. I'm like I'm finished. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so again, I had to learn how to fail and uh, internalize it and move forward, move on. Um, I also think uh, instruments blew my mind a little bit, uh, and it was. Uh, fire hose approach like we were <clears throat> in the phase where we're out in the aircraft flying aerobatics in the t6 we're doing classroom work uh on formation stuff and then we're in the sims flying instruments and these are you can do all those events all in one day which makes it difficult trying to 
uh, staying these different disciplines. And yeah, instruments kind of blew my mind because uh, I had flown in Iowa a little bit where I'm looking uh, at a map and then following rivers and towns and stuff. And I'm like, this is how we navigate uh, in airplanes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the instruments blew my mind uh, the first time. But uh, yeah, I'd say early on were most of the struggles and then started to figure it out. And then it turned into uh, a lot of fun when you start flying solos and formation solos for ships and T-38s and stuff like that. It got really cool. So. Did you have any flying experience before? Did you have a private or anything? Or a couple I did hours? Not, yeah, I had a I had a few hours, uh, as much as I could afford. So I had, I think, about 20 hours in a Piper Cherokee flying around, again, kind of Wild West style here in Iowa. Um, but no private. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the program's designed for someone who has no flight experience. Um, and I think it can help you. Um, depending on kind of what you've done in the past or it can hinder you, uh, it all depends on the person. Um, but yeah. it's certainly not required. So yeah, I was going to ask, do you think it would have helped you? And but I guess you get into that just obviously be good to have that basic, <laughs> right? Like you were, you would kind yeah. of be, you would have a better opportunity at the beginning, but then once you guys get to IFR, the next yep. day you're all going to be back to the beginner, back in the same standard anyway. So it helps you for a little bit, maybe for confidence. It's good. Yeah. I think basic airmanship and, and confidence, but. I mean, there's so many things you could pull from from the past. I thought skydiving helped me a lot. Oh, cool. uh, and then just being a part of a team had helped me a lot. Uh, there's guys who played, you know, college football who think their transferable skills there. So it's hard to pinpoint it down uh, other than uh, work ethic and good attitude. You know, those are those are the requirements. So how do you mentally like obviously you mentioned how it's a competition between your peers, but it's a competition between, between yourself. How do you mentally kind of take that on a day-to-day basis where obviously you have to do better than 27 people to probably get the plane that you want, but you also right. want to be there and they want to see you be a, a team leader or part of a team. They don't want to see you be a, a loser, like I don't want to say a loser, but just like the jerk that pouts all the time, right? Right. Like you got to right. find a way to kind of handle that adversity, really learn how to compete, but understand that it's about everyone, not just by yourself, which can be really difficult because it's a very selfish yeah. situation. You want to fly the plane you want to fly and you have to Absolutely. be better how do you kind of go about that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I'd seen people who had done it incorrectly, who had treated it more like, "Hey, I am I'm competing against everyone. It's it's I've got to be the best, even at the expense of others." And that really does not work out well for folks. Um, I reached back to uh, my time again on a skydiving team or on sports teams, uh, kind of how I interact with folks. I think that's really important having that team foundation. And then it was just early on in pilot training. And I would give this advice to anyone who's going to it is to recognize, uh, that you are going to be competing to be the best version of yourself. Um, and then the humility piece, I think is really important and sometimes missed, uh, the ability to stand up in front of say all your classmates and admit that you failed something and made a mistake so that they do not make that same mistake. Uh, if your thought process is, hey, I'm giving away the secrets, and if I tell them how to do something better, you know, then they're going to do better than I did. It's just such a wrong mindset and such a, uh, you're not thinking about the big picture. Uh, so I would tell folks, keep your mind on the big picture. And you want to go through pilot training. You want all those folks who are in your class to remember you, that you were uh, credible, that you knew your stuff, and that you were just a phenomenal teammate uh, that they could rely on. And you're going to be friends with those folks for the rest of your life. Uh, and I promise you, it will not come at all at the expense of your 
uh, your ranking if you're that type of person. In fact, it's going to help you because there is a subjective portion uh, to this where instructors and folks who are evaluating you are evaluating, uh, is this a type of person we want to put in a fighter squadron where we do depend on cohesion, brotherhood, things of that sort? Um, are you that type of person that fits that bill? And if you're a person who admits their mistakes um, and uh, seeks to make others better, then absolutely you're gonna uh, you're gonna do better. So, well, it's all about trust, right? Like it doesn't matter yep. if you're you're the best pilot in the world if the people next to you won't won't trust you and, and are second guessing their decisions <laughs> based on what you're gonna do, then you're really hurting the team. And it doesn't matter how good of a pilot you are, uh, you're gonna eventually hurt everyone else. So, absolutely. Um, I, I'm guessing if you're the best pilot in the world. Like that's gonna get you pretty far, but <laughs> eventually it's gonna come to get yeah. you. I really can't get you everywhere. Uh, you need the right mentality. You need the, the humility is, is not talked about enough in my opinion, but humility is such a big part of it and what we look for in folks going to fighter squadrons and just that ability to be a teammate. Cause most folks, you can teach them everything. Um, you're going to be able to teach them the left and right hand and the skills, uh, but being just the, the right, uh, character and the right mindset is so important. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess what kind of hurts is, you know, you got like top, I mean, Top Gun obviously helped in all those movies, but then you kind of get like the bravado of being Top Gun, right? Like you you teach you how you're supposed, they think that's how you're supposed to think. So, uh, uh, interesting. It'll be kind of a, an interesting social experiment to see how you get, you take two people, two different ways to think about it, see how far they make it. So you can do Absolutely. (laughs) Um, you are, uh, so you're getting the F-22 Raptor. You finally find out that's what you're going to do. Um, your first flight, in that is solo in the plane, right? Do you go through a simulator first or they have any dual, they don't have any dual trainers, right? Uh, no dual uh, trainers. We do uh, pretty robust sim uh, syllabus prior to ever touching the aircraft. Uh, you pretty much go all the way through a instrument check ride in the sim where you are certified to handle uh, essentially every emergency that could occur. Uh, and then, and then you go out to the flight line for your first flight uh, and you'll fly as a two ship. So you'll be flying uh, with an instructor and another F-22. Uh, so you'll be going out, uh, following him around, him or her around, and then uh, doing some basic aircraft handling uh, out in the airspace and then come back uh, for landings uh, and kind of pattern work. And they'll kind of chase you around in the other F-22. It's about two or three flights of that, and then you're already into the BFM, starting to fight the aircraft phase. So it moves pretty fast and furious. But how uh, how nervous are you at the very first time you're sitting at twenty two, <laughs> and it's like you just have this millions upon millions of dollars yeah. that you're sitting in. It's like I mean, I have never flown this before, and they're just gonna let me go do this thing. I mean, obviously you fly a sim that's pretty similar, but. I don't know. It just feels way different when you're talking about F-22 versus like a Citation or an Airbus. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Very expensive. I can't screw this up. So <laughs> old knees weak, arms sweaty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was nerve wracking. Uh, I feel like most of the nerves happen when you're really, you know, doing ground ops and your mind's not uh, completely occupied yet. You're just thinking about, please don't screw this up. And yeah, uh, nerves and adrenaline. But then as soon as, as soon as we take off, immediately started reverting back to the sim training and getting focused up. And then it was just awesome. Um, and yeah, kind of out of body experience type thing where you're so focused on what you're doing. And then by the time you, you land the adrenaline wears off, you're like, Holy smokes, what just happened? So, uh, I just remember early on being extremely nervous. I don't remember anything about the flight other than thinking this is awesome. Uh, but being very focused up and then at the end just being elated. So 
Yeah. When you, um, as someone like me, that's uh, say I'm at Oshkosh, I'm looking up, I'm seeing you guys do some crazy stuff. All right, let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. As a pilot, you rely on precision planning, trusted resources, and experience each day. And that's just what RAA brings to financial planning. You see, they're uniquely positioned to serve the airline community because RAA was created by pilots to serve pilots, which is why they've earned the trust of and served thousands in aviation industry for more than three decades. But more importantly, RAA's airline specialized advisors understand the unique set of needs, challenges, and goals associated with your career, including those factors that can affect your financial life and security. And that's why it's important to work with the right financial partner. Because whether you're just entering the airline industry or nearing your final flight, the team at RAA is here to support your journey from takeoff to touchdown. Learn more about the benefit of working with an RAA airline specialized advisor today at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's raa.com slash pilot to pilot. Now back to today's episode. What's it actually like doing that crazy stuff? You know, all the vector thrust, all the, the crazy maneuvers that you do, like what is, what's it like inside? Does it, does it, I mean, it probably doesn't feel abnormal to you anymore, but the first time you're doing it, you're just pivoting on a point in an airplane in a fire yeah, jet. It yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. What's that like? It's definitely something to get used to. Um, see the aircraft can pull. I remember that was eye-opening because uh, you've gone from just flying a T-38 uh, all the way to this nine plus G capable. And then the thrust, I mean, uh, the amount of thrust you have, uh, early on can almost get you in trouble. Uh, we call it getting on the pain train all the time where you're, you're pulling for all you, you're worth nine, nine and a half G's and the jet's still accelerating. And the only thing you can do at this point is pull the power back, uh, to slow the thing down. Uh, we've had folks go accidentally supersonic because the jet can super cruise. And you, you think I'm in a climb, I'm in mill power. So sub burner, uh, certainly I'm not accelerating and you're looking outside and next thing you know, you're supersonic. So <laughs> the thrust, the thrust and, uh, and the maneuvering capability was a huge learning curve. Uh, and then even after doing it for years and now doing it in the demo, doing that low to the ground, uh, was also eye opening. Uh, but it, it is a violent ride up there. Um, a lot of positive to negative G stuff. Um, I'm constantly bracing myself. We have, uh, towel racks handles we call them uh where you can basically you know put your left or right hand uh to brace uh the body for the for the g uh positive or negative g so i'm constantly turning up our throttle friction which is a knob on the left hand uh so where i can just throw the throttles and burn burner and then grab the towel rack and brace uh the body and then uh the the g strain and all that stuff has become second nature so now once i got experience and got over uh again uh the initial pain uh, it, it's awesome. Uh, and I really enjoy it. It's like, it is a constant adrenaline rush and the, the ability of the jet to really do, uh, anything you want it to do and have the thrust to get you out of, uh, mistakes. It's, uh, it's awesome. So have you flown anything else since then? Like, are you like cruising around on 172 and it's like <laughs> trying to do some crazy stuff in there like wow this is sucks <laughs> this is boring uh, and you know i i know i love flying uh in anything i can um and i was up in alaska for three years uh, so that's where i did the majority of of flying on the outside was when i was in alaska so i flew uh got my float rating and uh flew a lot of float planes and then uh got my tailwheel and uh and flew some some cubs and satabrias things of that sort I had a blast. It's just different. Um, I thought, I thought float flying was, you know, just absolute bliss. I loved it. 
Um, and then I loved flying bush planes as well. I was very challenging and, and different. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't say I just, I just think it's different. And I think, uh, I think there's just so many awesome things you can do in aviation. Um, I've enjoyed flying the Raptor, but I'm, I'm seeking the, the next stuff as well. Uh, next opportunities. Yeah. Is uh, your goal to kind of go airlines, keep flying, or you think you want to just fly for fun? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I am enjoying flying uh, for the military right now. I'm flying the F-22. Um, I still have time left on my initial service commitment, so I don't even have the option to get out. But if I did, uh, I would stay right now because I'm enjoying it. Uh, that said, now this job of flying the demos has been eye-opening, getting to interact with so many folks uh, from different disciplines uh, in aviation. And there's so many cool opportunities out there. All I know is that I want to keep flying um, in, in whatever capacity I can and seek out as many of those opportunities as I can. And what's it been like knowing that you're on the other side now? So when you see all these little kids looking up at you, you know, you're taxiing and you're after you're, you're saluting the little yeah. kids as you go by, just thinking yeah. about like 20 years ago, you know, or 50, whatever, however, I don't know how old you are, but back in the day, that was you looking at those airplanes yeah. and you know that you're kind of making a positive on these kids. What's that? What's it like being on the other side? Uh, it fires me up. I love it. Oh, this has been some of the most rewarding time of my life. Um, and uh, it's very motivating when I'm getting ready to go fly and seeing that kind of stuff. And then when we're not flying uh, for myself and our entire team, uh, we just want to go and interact with as many folks as we can. And we seek to inspire as many folks as we can to set goals uh, because it was so profound, uh, the impact that that kind of stuff had on our lives. So anytime we go to a show, we're trying to stay there as long as we can uh, maximize our footprint and uh that gets us all fired up because it is so uh, rewarding uh, getting to getting to do that and uh, getting to see kind of that that light uh, in the youngster's eyes who's who's looking up to do this someday. And you're talking about all the positives of being on the demo team or being in the Air Force, mm -hmm. but uh, there's got to be some things that you're like, dang man, like this kind of sucks, right? Like, <laughs> are you yeah. allowed? To, you're not allowed to talk about, but like, what's kind of like the the downside to doing the demo team? Demo team's uh, tough to find any because it is. Uh, uh, it is an awesome job. Um, if I didn't have as awesome of a team, I could see it not being as great as it is. We have such a, a phenomenal group of, of folks, our superintendent, team chief, public affairs, our crew chiefs, avionics specialists. We got to handpick all those folks. And so even when we're in the worst situations on the road, we're getting hailed on, snowed on, trying to get the jets in a hangar. Uh, we're going through logistical nightmares, whatever it might be, delayed for flights. Uh, these they make it awesome, and so they're they make the the mundane or what could be the the crappy moments. They make it great, uh, so that's been cool. I could see uh, this um, the amount of travel we do doing about thirty shows <clears throat> this past year, probably just shy of three hundred days on the road. Uh, that could be a downside for some folks, uh, and it, the fati fatigue was definitely definitely set in on me. But I don't know. After about a week off, I was ready to get going again because I love it. Um, and a lot of folks on our team love it. So, uh, I can see the travel on the demo team side, uh, being tough for folks, but I think it's the best job in the world. Best job I'll ever have. Um, and then for the combat squadron, uh, deal, uh, again, phenomenal job. Uh, and there's nothing really better, but, uh, sometimes what could, get left off is just the amount of, of time you have to commit 
um, to mission planning, studying weekends that you're going to give up to go into a vault to study um, and, and get ready for your flights throughout the week. Um, I've tried to be honest brokers when I'm talking to folks, like it's going to be a lot of work and there's a lot of time. There's going to be sacrifices of time, whether it's your squad can get on the road to deploy or even at home, the amount of uh, preparation you're going to have to do. Um, but for me, it's been, it's been all worth it uh, because it is a rewarding job and it has turned out to be a great adventure. So yeah, I'll bet. Sounds awesome. I mean, it sounds like a dream job. Like how cool would that be? Just to be the one ripping it up and above the sky. You know, <laughs> yeah. shoot you I, down, right? <laughs> I feel, I uh, feel very fortunate and I'm trying to take advantage of every moment because I know it's fleeting and it's going to go by quick and it's going to be over. Um, so, uh, I am incredibly fortunate. Try to try to savor every moment of this. You say it's fleeting. Is it a uh, time limited? Do you only get to do this for a certain amount of years or is this uh, something that you can do for however long you're in the military for? Uh, it is a time limited job. Um, so typically it's a two year tour. <clears throat> so it's pretty quick. Uh, two years sounds like a decent amount of time, but I just finished the first one and, uh, it felt like it went by in a, in the blink of an eye. And I felt like I just started, uh, yesterday. So again, trying to savor, uh, what's remaining of that time. You know, the bribe someone be like, yo, uh, let me get back in there. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah, we'll see what I can do, but, uh, yeah. I'm expecting it to be just two years and, uh, yeah. I'm going to try to make the most of it. So it's awesome. What was the, what was the process like from, um, you know, training in F-22, uh, doing kind of your, I'm guessing you need to go straight to the F-22 demo team. That's probably safe for, for more people that are a little bit more senior into the aircraft, but talk about, um, you know, you're finishing F-22 training, you're, um, getting released and, and going on to your job and then getting to where you are today. What was that process like? Cause like we said, it's not A to B, it's not you going straight from there to the demo team, I'm guessing. Right. Yep. Uh, you do have to be an instructor pilot <clears throat> to apply, uh, to be on the F-22 demo team. So, and that takes at least uh, three to four years of maturity in the aircraft. Uh, once you graduate the the B course, we call it, which is about eight to nine months, uh, you go off to your first combat squadron. You are a non-combat mission-ready wingman, so you go through another upgrade uh, to be combat mission-ready. Spend about a year, if not longer, of just being a wingman, uh, trying to be a sponge, learn as much as you can, and then eventually you go in through a uh, two-ship flight lead upgrade. Uh, which is a long upgrade, getting certified to lead two F-22s around in day-to-day training or in combat. Uh, the next step is a four-ship flight lead. Now, that's our typical fighting force, four F-22s, leading a four-ship around uh, in training or combat. And then uh, the longest and probably the most uh, difficult of them all is the instructor pilot upgrade, uh, where you, you go through every, every mission set that we could fly uh, in the Raptor uh, and get certified as an instructor. So again, that typically takes uh, three to four years, depending on the person, uh, and then you're eligible to apply for the demo job, as well as a lot of other uh, cool opportunities uh, in the Air Force. So uh, for me, yeah, I did most of that upgrade uh, flying when I was in Alaska. That was my first tour. And then came down to Langley. I was in the normal uh, line unit at Langley for about a year and a half prior to getting hired for the demo team. Cool. What would you say was uh, one big oh crap moment that you're allowed to talk about that you've had in the airplane where you're like, holy smokes. <laughs> Do you oh, have crap moment. You know, that's yeah. a great question. Uh, I will tell you that this jet has been incredibly uh, reliable. I should knock on wood, but <laughs> I'll knock on wood for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It has been like 
as far as massive emergencies or the jet not responding like it should, especially in a low altitude situation, I can't really uh, think of anything. Um, I've definitely had maybe some oh crap moments uh, in Alaska, one of them being uh, flying at night in the winter in Alaska uh, in a four ship of F-22s when uh, the sea fog, ice fog moved in. And there's not that many places to land an F-22 in Alaska. And things got uh, very, 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 very quickly. And we went to a uh, municipal airport outbase with an extremely icy runway. And that was our only landing option. So I had to land uh, one Raptor after another on a very icy runway. Um, And we all made it all fine. Uh, There was some sketchy stuff that happened uh, throughout that whole series of events. Uh, but the aircraft were undamaged, the folks were undamaged, and then we we implemented some new procedures to not get caught off guard. Because uh, Alaska can be a very unforgiving place to fly, especially in the wintertime. Um, but the jet itself has been amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. So, You know, that's one thing I've never thought of. How does uh, an F-22 handle icing? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I'm guessing they're designed to fly in certain places, so they have to, to be able to handle some amount of ice. But is it... Like when you get ice, is that something that you're not really too fond of in that airplane or you try to avoid it if you can? We're actually not that worried about it. Um, we will not try to fly in sustained icing, uh, but we're, we're not too worried about it. If you see buildup, we're just going to basically change altitudes. And uh, I've never really had any issues with buildup on the jet. I haven't heard of really uh, too many icing issues. Uh, it's a good, it's a good all weather fighter yeah, that ha- handles the conditions really well. So you can probably fly fast enough to where the wing never gets to the point <laughs> yeah. Ice anyway. Yeah, I remember my T thirty eight days. We were very concerned with icing, uh, but yeah, since I flew on the Raptor, that has not been something that we worry about much. What's something that uh, some like the average person, you know, people have a, a base, a general idea of what F twenty two can do, but what's something that the average person doesn't know that maybe even kind of blew your mind that you could do in that airplane? That's another good question. Um, I think the the range of capabilities of just talking airframe, if we don't include the sensors and all that other neat stuff, the fact that in a sortie you can go from 60,000 feet Mach 2, it can get there relatively easily uh, in a short amount of time. And then in that same flight, you could be down uh, low level uh, going between uh, valleys and ridge crossings and, and mountains doing low level stuff. Uh, that would just blew my mind uh, how how well the jet can uh, perform in that wide uh, array of uh, mission sets and in different areas. So uh, I think that's one of the coolest things. Um, and then <clears throat> some folks, again, don't believe the thrust capability of 70,000 pounds. And then again, the airframe uh, most I've pulled uh, G force wise in the jet is 9.9. And that's not an over G of the aircraft. It can, it can do that. Um, uh, which again, a lot of other fighters, you, you pull that kind of G, it's going to be, it's going to be grounded for a while. So <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and they also, so another thing that kind of just like, I've not very much, not great knowledge about, uh, military aircraft, but I've always kind of told you know, F-35 could kill an F-22 from like hundred miles away. I don't know if that's correct. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And then vice versa with F-22 with like F-16, but what, what would be like, the worst case scenario for you? Like if you got caught up, like getting up and close to the F-16 or like what's like a bad day or a bad situation for an F-22? Because all we talk about is how the F-22 and F-35 are these so far advanced aircraft that can pretty much take out yeah. anything. Anything that like could sneak, I don't know, it probably 
a lot of things that have to happen to make this situation happen. Was there any situation or any kind of thing that is like F 22s nightmare? That's another good question. Um, I would say that's a good question. First off for the, the blanket statements of, uh, this aircraft will kill their aircraft a hundred miles away. Uh, it's very difficult, uh, with modern day technologies and stuff to make any definitive statements of what, how it's going to play out. So an F-35, uh, is going to have newer sensors cause it's a newer airplane than us. Uh, but that's really hard, uh, to determine. Um, again, based on the fact that we're meant to be an air to air fighter, uh, we both have capable radars and capable sensors. Yeah, I give the edge to them for having newer stuff, uh, but you never know how it's going to go. And uh, and we're going to win within visual range uh, against pretty much anything. And so for the F-22, <clears throat> yeah, we're designed to be that first first look, first shot, first kill uh, with stealth. But uh, we're also meant to be a dogfighter, so we're looking to go tangled up. So we're not afraid to go get in that visual uh, fight. Uh, especially after taking shots at range. So in the air-to-air arena, I would say there's not really anything we're looking to go pick the fight. Um, and we're whether it's beyond visual range or within visual range, uh, the F-22 is trying to go. I think the worst-case thing for us would be um, <clears throat> not working together as a team, so getting separated somehow, uh, or having uh, certain systems start to fall offline. Uh, so again, that's why... Uh, I like to tell the stories of our maintainers, especially on the demo team. And those folks really are going to be our edge if we have to go and do a fight, because I know that those folks are uh, amazing at their jobs. And my aircraft will go into the fight with uh, with functioning systems. And there's so, so many advanced technologies and systems and sensors on these airplanes now. That might be the difference. Uh, Whose who's, uh, arrays are working better that day? Whose who's sensors are working better that day? Uh, that's going to be the difference. And so that's why I'm very proud of, of the folks I get to work with, especially on the team. Would you ever want to fly anything else? Is kind of the F-22 kind of like your bread and butter? Do you think you, you'd want to do that forever if you stayed in the military for a while? Or is there uh, any other kind of uh, airplane that's currently built? Or maybe you know of one that's not currently built, but will be built. But, you know, um, is there anything that you uh, could see yourself moving to? I, I think I'll probably stay with the F-22, and I'm good with that. Uh, I really, again, uh, I really love the aircraft. Um, I've always answered that question previously of if I had to go fly something else, I'd want to do something different. So maybe an A-10. I think the A-10 is a great airplane. Uh, I don't know if that's how long it's going to be around or what the future holds for that. Um, You've been saying they're going to get rid of that plane for like 20 yeah, years. They <laughs> that sure thing have, will be around so, before. Yeah, We're going to die like, before the thing's gone. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I do like that jet. So I'd go yeah. fly an A-10 uh, if given the opportunity. But uh I think I'll probably stay at 22s. Can you imagine the, the just the difference in airplane going back to that? Like trying to learn that? Like, wait, what? <laughs> yep. It doesn't have cool. yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Two totally different missions, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as someone that people would look up to and kind of, you know, you kind of like made it in a lot of people's eyes with, uh, with what you're doing, right. Especially since you were the kid on the other side of the fence, uh, you see those kids all the time. You probably have the opportunity to speak to them. They're probably like, Hey man, how can I get in your shoes? Let's say like a 10 year old's coming up to you, wants a picture, just wants some advice. What do you normally tell someone about uh, going on that track, whether they're 10, 16, 18, you know, getting ready to go into? Absolutely. Well, I try to tailor it to, uh, to the age we're talking to. Um, but, and I've said it a few times on this podcast, try to give them the universal principles that I think are important of 
hey, you got to keep a great work ethic, great attitude, and then and be humble and seek mentorship and advice. Um, and normally, what that boils down for the youngsters is is working hard in school, working hard in your community, finding things outside of school that you enjoy, um, whether it's sports or clubs or hobbies, things of those sort, uh, to keep yourself on the right path uh, is very important. And then uh, we tell folks try to get to uh, those decision points in your lives with doors open for yourself. You don't know necessarily know when you're 10 years old, right, where I'm going to go to college, what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Most folks don't. Uh, but you can have you can have avenues open to yourself and opportunities open for yourself. And if you're willing to go out and uh, get outside your comfort zone, then those opportunities are going to become more prevalent and more apparent. So uh, tell folks not be afraid to take risks, not be afraid to fail. Keep that good attitude. And then the last piece uh, is enjoy the journey on your way to your goal because that's where life occurs. So you're constantly just thinking ahead about uh, the goal and not enjoying uh, some of the present, then you're going to miss out on a lot of life too. And that's a hard balance to do. It's easier said than done. Um, well, those are, that's kind of the gist of what we talk about. Yeah. And that goes back to anyone just doing flying in general. Like when I was flying my, a 172 or a Piper or Arrow, uh, I was always looking at a jet that are taxing by, like, man, I can't wait to go there. But now it's like, you kind of look back at the small plane, it's like, dude, that'd be kind of fun to go rip around in an yeah. arrow. But <laughs> absolutely, you know, once you get to the jet, you don't go back a lot of times. Like, it's yeah. just kind of over, which is kind of yeah. sad. And you're going to miss that stage of your life. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So don't, don't miss out on uh, the grind. Uh, a lot of people say you got to fall in love with the grind to get in, in love what you do. So definitely do that. Absolutely. Uh, I got a couple of rapid fire questions for, actually, I got one question first and then rapid fire, but. Okay. Costumes. Why Raz? Is there a story behind that that you're allowed to tell? That's uh, oh, there is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, most folks get named on their first deployment or trip with the squadron. So my first trip uh, with the 525 Bulldogs out of Alaska was to Japan. Uh, so AZZ in my name stands for at Kadena because ZZ you'll find on the tails of uh, Kadena Air Base aircraft. Uh, so it just stands for at Kadena. And then the R means a whole list of things, uh, which we could get into later. At a, at a later time but a lot of the call signs are acronyms uh and a lot of them uh obviously none of them are, are cho- chosen by the person <laughs> who's receiving the name but it's a cool ceremony it's really cool how it works and uh yeah there's uh, about 75 percent of mine yep <laughs> that's what's up uh yeah we'll, we'll talk about the rest in oshkosh this year how about that there you go yep that's a deal <laughs> cool. yep. uh are you like at least proud of it you know some people are probably like yeah, i don't want this call sign but are you like okay with it or <laughs> uh, we say people always tend to grow into their call signs uh whether you like yeah. it or not at first um yeah so i have no issues with mine uh, i've got a buddy <laughs> whose call sign is taz so we're raz and taz we got named at the same oh, time cool. i have fun with it and uh, i think most people do so cool i love it all right, man, I got some rapid fire questions for you. These yep. are just very quick. Mm-hmm. Don't explain anything. Answer them as fast as you can, whatever comes okay. to mind the first cut, first time, all right? All right. What's favorite airplane ever made? Raptor, yeah. What's a uh, corporate jet, if you have any, or airliner? Ooh, corporate jet or airliner? That's a tough one. I could tell you, like, Warbirds or other airplanes. Um, yeah. All right, let's go Warbirds. <laughs> uh, P-38 Lightning. All right, there you go. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? <laughs> hmm. Oh, I could get in some trouble for this one. Do it. Stay pot. <laughs> <laughs> I will be honest with you. I'm, I don't think there's an airplane I've seen where I'm like, I hate it. I don't want to ever yeah. see it again. I, I like airplanes. That's tough. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
That's fine. It's a fake answer, but I'll get it. <laughs> uh, what's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Hmm. I'd say early on, uh, just how I wish I knew more about how awesome of a community is and how much uh, how important it is to reach out to folks who are directly related to your career field or uh, in different career fields, but uh, uh, seeking that that friendship and uh, and mentorship throughout the community. Uh, the earlier you can do that, the better. And I wish I had known that earlier. Yeah, it's not an easy industry to go at it alone. So yep. uh, people have made the same mistakes you have and learn from them and make sure uh, you, you don't do it any worse than they did. And they'll help guide yeah, you along the way. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Yep. Uh, who is, who's someone in the industry you'd like to meet most? It could be alive or they could have passed on. Mm. <clears throat> these are these are good questions. Yeah. Rapid fire, I should be quicker. Um, for Air Force, like, fighter pilot flying everyone would probably says robin olds i think it'd be cool to meet robin olds i never met chuck yeager legends like that uh civilian flying uh i was a huge huge fan of jim leroy aerobatics uh flying the bulldog at air shows uh and i i got the chance to meet him but i'd like the chance to talk to him one more time yeah cool all right what's your uh, favorite overall thing about aviation community uh pilots it's- mechanics all that okay. yep. yeah What's the hardest flight or approach you've ever flown? Hardest approach? I probably mind dumped it. I think there was one I did in Alaska uh, that was pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But I brain dumped it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say Alaska. Blanket statement of Alaska. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite flight you've ever flown? Uh, favorite flight? Uh, was in an F-22 where he intercepted Russian aircraft off the coast of Alaska, then got uh, air refueled many times, and then got to go fly low-level all throughout uh, the rugged Alaska terrain for many hours. That was uh, my favorite flight. Yeah. What's it? This is a rapid fire, but what's it like uh, getting the call to go intercept someone knowing that if you just do one thing wrong with your finger, you could like launch World War Three. you know, if you just <laughs> yeah. accidentally hit yeah. the fire button instead of the don't fire button. <laughs> yep. It's, it's actually, it's more mundane than you think. Um, there's definitely excitement getting out to go do that. Uh, but we have uh, plenty of safety measures in place to make sure we don't make a, a mistake like that. Uh, so it's more mundane uh, than, than most people probably think, but it was still cool and I enjoyed it. When you see a, a Russian fighter or a Chinese mm-hmm. fighter or anything like that, is there like a sense of respect between the two? You know, you always hear about World War II, about how they kind of always respected each other. Kind of like they knew who the top dog was at different sides. Or is it kind of like, yeah. a, I don't know what to say hatred, but does it feel, I mean, obviously you're doing a mission, right? Like, so if you have to do something, you got to do something. But right. I guess just what's the feeling like between you and the other pilot, if there is one, if that makes sense. I would like to think there's a mutual respect, certainly from our side as well. And, uh, we're, we're going to treat them with, uh, respect and respect their capabilities as well. Um, so don't certainly don't want to be complacent or overconfident. Um, so I def, I definitely, there's a, there's respect. Is that the case every time there's an intercept? I don't know. Uh, it could vary, uh, from country to country, person to person. Uh, but I can tell you on our side, uh, uh, we're trained to do those those intercepts professionally. You guys like waving at each other when you see each other. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I don't think we waved at all, but uh, didn't yeah. just stare at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, IFR or VFR? Which uh, what would you rather fly? VFR. 
Favorite airport food. Let's say you're um, you're flying a Raptor. For some reason, you need to cross country and you get fuel on the ground rather than. Yeah. Than I don't get What'd to you... make it to many uh, FBOs. Uh, sadly, yeah. You you, uh, you searching out barbecue or uh, what, what's your go to if you ever got the chance? You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of the FBOs that have the fancy espresso. So not food, but yeah. I do like the good coffee. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Uh, go mountains. What's your favorite airline livery if you have one? Uh, paint job. I like Alaskan. I've said Alaska a lot, but I like the Alaskan uh, livery. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Would you rather fly the longest flight possible in your F-22 or as many short trips as you possibly can? <clears throat> I'd say probably short trips. I enjoy the experience. Yeah. What, what was the hardest check ride you've ever flown? Uh, that would go back to uh, probably... F-22 certification flights as a four-ship flight lead or instructor pilot. Yeah. All right. And uh, let's see. The other ones are kind of civilian-based. So I want to ask those, but um, I'm guessing the answer is going to be Alaska. But what's your favorite airline? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I did like Alaska, but I don't live there anymore. So um, I've also flown Delta a fair amount. I think they do a good job. Um I don't know. Oh, I, we fly them all because we are just booking government tickets. And uh, so whatever I'm flying that day tends to be my favorite. Yeah. Whatever's <laughs> the cheapest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what's up. Well, cool, man. Well, Raz, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, you're doing some cool stuff, man. And uh, hope to see you out in Oshkosh next year. We'll, we'll meet up and uh, you can tell me more of a story about your name and I won't, I won't blast it. Don't worry. I'll keep it. Keep, I'll keep it. Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate I appreciate your time. It, yeah. And thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, we're stoked. Oshkosh, uh, there's no better place on earth. So, uh, yeah, please hit me up and uh, uh, we'll meet up and you can come out and see the Jets. So, oh, I'd love to. Awesome. I would love to. That'd be awesome, man. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. You do the same. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends, like, subscribe, follow, all of those things. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm kind of rambling now because it's too late. I need to go to bed, but have a great day. And as always, happy flying. Pilot the Pilot LLC is compensated to make recommendations to his or her followers regarding the services of RAA or Allworth Airline Advisors, companies of Allworth Financial, LP, or Allworth. Promoter is not an employee or investment advisor representative of Allworth. Promoter is a current client of Allworth. Allworth-based promoter fee of $4,000 a month for sponsorship of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Due to the compensation arrangement between Allworth and Promoter, Promoter has an incentive to recommend Allworth resulting in a material conflict of interest. Promoter's role on behalf of Allworth is limited strictly to making recommendations regarding the services of Allworth, introducing or referring prospective clients to Allworth. Promoter has no responsibility with respect to Allworth's investment advisor or other advisory services.